This is the second week of our series called A Certain Future, and Pastor Steve is going to share with us um, out of the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to read that scripture for us, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 to 28, and I'm actually going to be reading from message uh, paraphrase this morning. It says this, God's message came to me, son of man, When the people of Israel lived in their land, they polluted it by the way they lived. I poured out my anger on them because of the polluted blood they poured out on the ground. And so I got thoroughly angry with them, polluting the country with their wanton murders and dirty gods. I kicked them out, exiled them to other countries. I sentenced them according to how they had lived. Wherever they went, they gave me a bad name. People said, these are God's people, but they got kicked off his land. I suffered much pain over my holy reputation, which the people of Israel blackened in every country they entered. Therefore, tell Israel, message of God the master, I'm not doing this for you, Israel. I'm doing it for me, to save my character, my holy name, which you've blackened in every country where you've gone. I'm going to put my great and holy name on display, the name that has been ruined in so many countries, the name that you blackened wherever you went. Then the nations will realize who I really am, that I am God when I show my holiness through you so that they can see it with their own eyes. For here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you out of these countries, gather you from all over, and bring you back to your own land. I'll pour pure water over you and scrub you clean. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you and live by my commands. You'll once again live in the land I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Thank you, Eric. I don't know about you, but I have just a natural distrust for any pastor who would plan a mission trip to Jamaica right now. But it wasn't just Pastor Jim, it was a group of pastors, which makes probably sense why they did that. But no, uh, this is an important trip. This group and Tom Judge, who was joining them, was in his first service, the work that they're going to be doing for the future of the ministry in Jamaica is really critical. So I encourage you to pray for them. And if you want to pray that Jim gets sunburned, that's fine, too. Uh, No, we won't do that. (laughs) So welcome, the first service of... 2018 first Sunday, last week uh, on uh, New Year's Eve actually, Pastor Eric kicked us off in our series, um, A Certain Future, and we started talking about uh, the future that each one of us look forward to and wondering what that future holds, what that future holds for us individually, maybe as a family, as a, as a church, as a nation, and where is God in our future? And if you weren't here, and I know last week was a holiday and sickness and weather and everything, but if you weren't here, or maybe as a refresher, uh, he basically took us uh, to the prophet Jeremiah, who was speaking to people, God's people, who had been taken in exile 
to um, Babylon and had been living there. And, and the scripture basically was a scripture of, of promise, a scripture that we claim as a promise of God that I have a future, I have a plan for you, I have a future for you, a future to, to bless you, to, to, to not harm you, to prosper you, to give you hope. And, and we look at that and say, yeah, that is so great. But in that scripture, as Eric said last week so well, that was a f- promise of a future 70 years down the road. He said, in fact, in the meantime, you're going to be in captivity. You're going to be living away from home. And you're going to be subject to rulers who aren't your rulers. And he said, here's what you got to do. And he didn't really give him the details, but he said, make the best of it. Make the best of it. Hang close. Stick with me. Trust me. And so we have this future where we're trusting God. And we have a plan that God has for our lives. Well, you know, one of the men that he would have written to would have been this prophet Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel was in that land. He had been carried away when he was 25 years old with others into ancient Babylon about at least 500 miles away as the crow would fly, maybe 900 miles at least the way they would have to travel to get there. And so during this time, Ezekiel was there. In fact, we, we find out reading the book that he was, a, he was a priest. And so he had been serving the Lord and he had been serving in the temple and he was taken from Jerusalem. He was taken from the promised land. He was taken from his home. And he was taken with many, many others 500 more miles away to live among foreign people. And he was there and, and, and he was at that point called to be a prophet. So he served his whole prophetic ministry in this time of captivity away from home. And he served as a prophet, and we know as a prophet, as a spokesperson for God. And a prophet will say what God tells him to say. And so a prophet speaks, and he has authority, and there were prophets that were speaking. And there were some, as, as we mentioned last week, there were false prophets. They were, they were spreading fake news that they were going to get back soon. And Jeremiah said, that's not going to happen. It's going to be 70 years. And so here is Ezekiel, and he's in this period of time where he is there for that, uh, while they are there. And basically, he is doing more than just foretelling the future. He's also confronting them with the present. And that was the duty of a prophet, not just to talk about the future, but to talk about today and why they were in the situation they're in. In fact, I think it's good for all of us from time to time where we make an assessment of why we're in the predicament we're in. Have you taken time to make an assessment of your life? We can tend to do that, don't we, at the beginning of the year? We start thinking, okay, how's this part of my life going? How's that part of my life going? And how's this part of my life going? And, and I don't know about you, I'm, I'm actually better at this picking on other people's lives. (laughs) I'm better assessing some other people around me and saying, well, you know, they need to shape up in this area. Here's why they got a problem. When we start talking about ourselves, it takes some honesty and transparency, vulnerability to assess ourselves and where we are. But we tend to do that, especially at the beginning of the year. Uh, You know, I for many, many years, I worked with, with businesses who at the end of the year, and would usually start with a financial statement, that was the first assessment of how the year's been or where we are, where we are. We start looking at a financial statement. Or maybe looking at other 
things in the business of why we are where we are. I would hope that the management of an 0-16 football team would do the same. I think there should be an assessment of why we are where we are. And by the way, I, right, right now I'm starting a six-month fast of Browns jokes, uh, at least up here. So for that next six months, I'm not going to mention the Browns again. So one more time, 0-16. Um, wow. We do that in our marriages. We assess our marriages. How are we doing? What can we do to be more intimate, to, to share more, to, to experience each other in greater ways? But we also do it in our spiritual journeys, don't we? We, we take time to say, where am I in my walk with the Lord? And, and how am I in my communion with, with my Savior? And, and am I growing or am I not growing? And, and so that's what we're called to do, and that's what Ezekiel was doing here. He was saying, you're in this position for a reason. It's not an accident that you've been taken away. It's not an accident. There is a reason that it's happened. And so he says in, um, in this verse that Pastor Eric read that, that, that he was sentencing the nation according to how they lived. But the NIV, I, I kind of like the way the NIV says it. He says, I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. He, he says, I, I've judged the nation I've judged you, Israel, my people, according to the way you've been acting, according to the way you've been conducting yourselves. And he gives us a hint in here. He says, the blood that's been shed just in, the, just in my nation, in, on your land, you are, you're killing each other. He says, you're worshiping idols. The, 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 what's going on here is a rejection of me. And they had, they had rejected Yahweh. They had been unfaithful to God. They had run after other gods. They had rejected him and they had rejected his laws. They weren't living in a way that brought honor and glory to God. They had cheapened and trivialized the God who created them, who called them out as a nation, and the God who had entered into a covenant with them. And so God is here saying, you know, I gotta do something. The prophets were crying out. Prophets like Amos and Obadiah, they were saying things like, you become materialistic. You become, you've, you, the powerful have exploited the poor. He said, you're prideful. They say you're complacent. <clears throat> and there's social injustice everywhere we looked. So God had to act. But how, what could God do? We know if we think back to Genesis chapter 6, when God acted, he looked down and he saw the evil of man. He saw that every inclination of man was to evil. And so he sent a flood and he wiped out most of the world, most of life. But he promised not to do that. So what is God to do? What are his options at this point? Because the results or the impact of this disobedience was much greater than even what these people probably thought. That God shares his heart in verse 21 when he says this, I suffered much pain over my holy reputation, which the people of Israel blackened in every country they entered. You know, during our reform series, we talked in our final message about what's the chief end of man. We said it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, the people, God's people were doing just the opposite. Rather than glorifying God, it said they've blackened my name in every country. My reputation has been ruined. They're trashing God's reputation. They're dragging his name through the mud. 
for what they're doing, for how they're acting, and then also because of the results of the punishment that he had to levy on them, the kicking them out of the land. For losing your land was a, was a signal to people in the ancient days that your God was not with you or your God was not powerful enough to sustain you. You might remember it was a year and a half ago or so we, we were looking at the life of the prophet Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? And he was on the mount with the prophets of Baal and they were in a contest. And the contest was to see who could call fire down from heaven and burn up the wood and, 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 and the sacrifice. Do you remember as the prophets of Baal were crying out to their gods? They were crying out, they were dancing, they were doing all the things that... that Prophets of Baal do. <laughs> they were cutting themselves and they were chanting and they were crying and they were yelling. And you remember what Elijah did. Elijah just didn't sit by silently. Elijah started poking fun at him. He says, where's your God? Maybe you better yell a little louder. Maybe your God's going deaf. Maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God just doesn't care. Well, now the tables have been turned. The tables have been turned. God's people were out of their land. They had been kicked out, carried out of the promised land. They were under foreign domination. And you can hear the people, where's your God? Does he care? Can he hear you? Does he even exist? Where is your God? And so God is here. And his reputation is being dragged through the mud. Not only are they acting in a way, but people are looking at him as impotent. As someone who doesn't care about his people or unable to care about his people. What is he to do? Well, we look at the next four verses, 24 through 27. And we see a series of statements where God says, I will. I will. And it begins with this in the verses 24 and 25. He says, these are things that God is going to do for his people. He says, I'll do this. I will take you out of the nations. Two, I will gather you up from the countries and bring you back to your own land. Three, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And four, I will cleanse you. I will. These are things that God was going to do for his people. And if you read the verses before that, though, he says why. He says, and by the way, it's not for you. I'm doing this. What, what Pastor Eric Red said, he said, I'm, if I'm doing it for the sake of my holy name in verse 22. Verse 23, I will show the holiness of my great name by doing this. Verse 23 again, then the nations will know that I am the Lord because of what I'm going to do. And I will be proved holy through you before their eyes. So the same people who were defaming God, who were, who were just bringing dishonor to God, God was going to use them to bring glory to him. He says, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to bring you home. You get to come home. Not only that, I'm going to clean you up. 
<laughs> I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to clean you up. In fact, that sprinkle represents a sprinkling of blood that was really normally required after somebody had touched a dead body. And he says, it's like you have, you have been in your, in your cha- chasing after idols. It's like you've been touching and reaching out to these dead bodies. I need to clean you up. He said, I'm going to sprinkle you and I'm going to cleanse you. I'm gonna, that's, that's part of the forgiveness process. He says, I am going to forgive you, not because of what you've done, not because you've earned it, but because I'm going to bring honor and glory to my name so that the nations will know that I am the holy God. But, but he doesn't stop there. Because God knows cleaning us up on the outside is not good enough. That won't stop the problem. So he goes on in verses 26 and 27 with more I wills. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He said, if we're going to stop this cycle, we need to get to the root of the problem. Because this has been a cycle that had been going on for generation after generation after generation after generation with God's people. They would serve him, and they would, they would be amazed at the works that he was doing in their presence. Then as time would go by, their hearts would harden. And they start to turn to other gods. They start to not follow his laws. And, and they pretty much then end up rejecting him, which would lead them into punishment. And then usually through the call of a prophet or some others that was calling them back, would, there would be a period of repentance and restoration. And they would serve God until their hearts got a little hard and they would go into punishment. And restoration. And, and we got cycle would go on and on and on and on and on again. And finally, God is saying here in these verses, let's stop it. Stop the cycle. Stop this. I serve you, Lord, but then I drift away and I come back. He says, what we really need is not to clean up from the outside, not just to bring you home. We need to change what's in here. What's in here needs to be changed. And he says, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit. I remove that heart of stone, and this new heart's going to be a heart of flesh, and my spirit is going to come in you. It's nothing you deserve or nothing you earned. Do you notice there's nothing you will, you will. It's I will. I will. I will. You cannot do it on your own. There's no I will or I can from our standpoint. It's I will, I can from God's standpoint. Because the problem that these Israelite people had, this going back and forth and falling into sin, and, and, and because their heart had not been changed, is not a, it's a problem that did not continue, cease to exist back then. In fact, John Eldridge in his book, Epic, says this. Something has gone wrong with the human race, and we know it. Better said, something has gone wrong within the human race. It doesn't take a theologian or a psychologist to tell you that. Read a newspaper. Spend a weekend with your relatives. (laughs) Pay attention to the movements of your own heart in a single day. Most of the misery we suffer on this planet is the fruit of the human heart gone bad. The glorious treasure has been stained, marred, and infected. Sin enters the story and spreads like a computer virus. 
I wonder if we might call Eldridge, in this case, the prophet for today. He says we need a new heart. Look around. Our, our hearts have been contaminated. Sin has entered, and it's spread its disease. Ah. He put his finger on it, the same way the prophet Ezekiel did so many years before. We need to deal with the sin and the effects it has on our lives. So God goes to work in you, in me, in his people by providing us with a new heart. A new heart. What does that mean? Well, Psalm 51, 10. The psalmist cries out, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And you know, he doesn't say, um, you can fix the one that's here. <laughs> you, you just can't take what I have and do a little remodeling. Create in me. Create. The God who created us needs to create in us a new heart and renew a right spirit within me. It's nothing I can do. It's not you can and you will. It's God can and God will. Removes a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. This is the transformed life. This is the transformed life that we talk about in our, in our church, our, our, our goals and our, and our values, that we want to transform life where, where Christ comes in, God comes in and takes our old life, our old heart, and removes it. You know, in, in those days, this, this heart of stone was well, well understood. In fact, in the, in the ancient world, and part of this came from Egyptian teaching, was that you were judged on the when you would die on the heaviness of your heart. If your heart was light, then you would have eternal life. But if you had a heavy heart, a heart that was full of, of your evil deeds, then, then you would be in trouble as far as eternity would go. In fact, they went so far, when you see the Egyptian mummies, they, they don't have their organs, and for sure they take out the heart. They took, would take the heart out when, before you would be mummified, and they would place that heart and other organs in a jar because they didn't want your heart to betray you. They didn't want this heavy heart to keep you from eternal life. In fact, what they would do is they would replace that heart with a stone replica of a dung beetle, which is a scarab, which was their sign for eternal life. And so they have this heart of stone that they would place in these, hoping that that was going to get them eternal life. And God is here saying, no, I'm here to remove a heart of stone. I'm, I'm here to remove your heavy heart. And I'm here to give you a new heart. And this clearly, without question, isn't just a message for those people that day. And it was a message for those people that day, but it's a message for us today because it's, it's, it just goes along with so much of the other prophets. And in fact, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 says this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will be, not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. 
No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. I want to write it on your hearts. And I do it through this new covenant. This one who's going to come and give us a new heart. He says, I'm going to forgive the wicked and remember their sins no more. I want to forgive you. He says, I have this new covenant. We have this new heart. We have this new spirit, the spirit of God living within us. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are new creatures. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. It's not just a heart. It's just not a spirit. All of us become new. The old is gone. The new has come. The new has come. This new heart, this seat of our will, is something that God wants to come and bring to us. But it came through those who are in Jesus Christ. It is possible because of his sacrifice. You know, I was wondering this week as I was looking at this, what a heart transplant costs nowadays. Fortune magazine published an article in September, and it was a study, and it said a heart transplant today would cost about $1.4 million. Doesn't sound surprising. That's a, to me, that's a major that's a major deal. There was a, there's a website, transplants.org, that, that um, cited a study in 2014 that said it's 1.2 million. So it's, it's in that one, it's, it's expensive, right? <laughs> Probably more than most of us can afford. But there's even a greater cost. There's a donor. There's a donor whose life was lost, but offered their heart to save another. You know, as I thought about that, and thought about the cost of this new heart that God wants to give us. You can't even measure it in dollars. The cost of this heart that God wants to take and put in where this old hardened heart used to exist. The donor was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died and rose for us so that we could have his heart, his heart. Senator Bill Frist, he is now retired from the Senate, but he was a senator from Tennessee, was a thoracic surgeon, and before he went to the U.S. Senate, had performed about 150 heart transplants. And he talks about, and in fact, he spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast a number of years ago, and he talked about that moment and that time from when, when that donor's heart is removed and those hours of preserving that heart, not beating, just keeping it on ice and ready to go and then rushing and getting into the, into the surgery, surgery room and opening up that patient who's going to receive that heart. The process of removing that old, diseased heart, having this fresh, pink new heart. And he said there's that moment where you've, you've, you take it, you place it in the recipient and you sew up and that moment where you wait because nothing's happening. 
And he said, it's that moment, it's just, a, it's just an incredible moment where he would breathe a prayer, say, Lord, it's in your hands. And then all of a sudden you see that, that beat, the heart pulsating, blood starting to flow through the recipient. It's kind of the work that Jesus wants to do in us. He, he wants to take our old heart, that, that heart that's, that's darkened, the heart that's diseased, the heart that's hardened. And he wants a fresh heart. That's his, that's his plan for us. That's his future for us. His, his desire is for us to have this new heart. But you know, he's also given us a choice. He can reject it or you can accept it. What's this new heart like? Well, we've been created. We've been created to mirror the God who created us. The Bible tells us Old Testament and New Testament, we are created in his image. We are created in his likeness. We receive actually the heart of God. Do you have the heart of God beating in you? The heart of God is a heart of compassion. The heart of God is a heart that loves justice. The heart of God is a, God, is a heart that seeks righteousness. The heart of God is a heart that desires to bring honor and glory to our creator. That's the heart he gave us. It's a heart for serving. It's a heart for caring. It's a heart of compassion. And I don't know about you, maybe there's some here this morning that your heart, you're just, I have a hard heart. I've never, I've never made that exchange. I've never let the great surgeon come in and do that transplant. Well, God can do that today and you can say I can have a new heart for 2018. A new heart for a new year. Sounds like a great deal to me. Or maybe you're just like some of us that we have our hearts, and, and I know my heart can be this way at times. It's, it's fresh, it's new, and then life over a year or two years, and all of a sudden maybe you start to notice my heart's not as tender, not as fresh, not as, not as Christ-like as it used to be. I think this would be a good day to say, Lord, your plan for me is to have a, a new heart. Would you, do a, would you do a little bit of surgery on me this morning? What's the result? Well, the last verse tells us the result comes from Ezekiel 36, 28. It says, then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. And I will be your God. That's the result of folks who have a new heart. Let's stand together. With our eyes closed, heads bowed, I just wonder this morning if this be the morning where you say, hey, I just need a, I need, I need, I need this new heart. Lord, I need you to do a work in me. Maybe, maybe you're, you're, you've done this before. Maybe you've, you've accepted Christ and that's not the problem, but, but yet your heart is just not what it used to be. So maybe I got a, maybe in my assessment here of myself, I've, I've got a little bit of heart problem I need to deal with. Tonight, this morning is the morning to deal with it. As the band plays, I know you can do it in your seats, but this altar is a great place to come do business with God. I just wonder if there might be somebody, someone who wants to come this morning, needs to come and say, Lord, I need that fresh, living heart. If you need to come, if you want to pray, 
Now's the time. If you need a new heart, if you need God to do a fresh work in you for 2018, if you just felt like maybe my heart's not where it should be, he judged them by their actions and their deeds. Lord, help us in our assessment. The altar's open. Continue to pray. You can come. Let's sing just a little bit as, as God works in hearts this morning. Lord, this morning, we offer to you our hearts because we know, Lord, that um, if you're really going to do business, it needs to be an inside job. Lord, help us to not just clean ourselves up on the outside, but to truly get serious with you this year. Lord, to, to take those hearts of stone or those hearts that, Lord, are just been hardening over these last months. 
Lord, soften them. Lord, make us pliable, make us usable, make us desire, Lord, to serve you and to love you and to, Lord, to, to glorify you in our words and our deeds and everything that we do. Father, may this year, may our hearts be tuned to you. Lord, may we, may we feel your, your, your compassion and your love, your sense of justice. Father, may today we commit ourselves to serving you, to loving you, and to caring for those around us that need you, Lord Jesus. Father, go with us today. May, may we serve you in greater ways this year than ever before. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There are still those praying at the altar. So I encourage you to go quietly this morning as we continue to, to pray.